Who knows what book of the Bible we're looking at at the moment? Galatians. Good. I'm glad people haven't forgotten that. What have we discovered so far? Pop quiz. If I got you to write down what we've discovered, what would you write down? Or would you sit there and think, I know there's been some stuff, but I can't remember any of it. Well, we've discovered two things. We've discovered what the gospel is, and we've discovered what the gospel is not. You're still none the wiser, I can tell. The, the gospel is the good news, but the good news is that we were called to be Christians in the grace of Christ. And it tells us that in Galatians uh, 1.6. So the interesting thing is, God called us, we didn't call him. So that's the first good news. The second part of that good news is that when we responded to that call, God accepted us, even knowing that we didn't deserve it. So God called us, and when we said, okay, here I am, he said, great, join me. And we all stand there, we go, well, but um, you're holy, I'm dirt, um, we can't do this, uh, it doesn't match, I do things wrong all the time, and, and you don't. God said, no, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, I accept you without question, without reservation, through my grace, through nothing you've done, not because you're good looking, you're talented, any of those things. So that's what the gospel is. We also discovered that the other gospels, the anti-gospel, has it the other way around. And so what happens is that the thinking there is that if we give God something, he will then accept us because of what we've done. And in verse 7, Paul, in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 7 in Galatians, Paul says, any teaching which adds, for instance, keeping the Mosaic ceremonial law, to our faith in Christ, perverts the gospel. And in fact, the word he uses there literally means reverses. So we, we've got to get, really the, the good news of the gospel is getting things in the right order. The first thing is that God called us before we'd done anything, and that no matter what we do, if we accept that call, God accepts us. End of story. And so, this sounded good. We also discovered that Paul tells us that he gets his authority from the Bible, not vice versa. And I don't know about you, I thought this was a bit strange because I thought Paul was actually involved in writing the Bible. And yet he, he tells us that this good news, this gospel that he's talking about, is actually where he gets his authority from. He hasn't, he hasn't decided that it was a good idea. He studied and he researched and he thought, I think it would be a good idea if we told people that this is how God works. He actually had an experience where God got a little ticked off with the way he was working, knocked him off his ass. Well, he's donkey, really. But sounded funny that way to me when I was preparing it. But <laughs> uh, I have to go back to my scriptwriter for that one. So the Bible is the foundation for and the creator of the church. The church is not the foundation for or the creator of the Bible. Often I think we get the idea that the Bible came out of the musings and thoughts of the people in the early church. But the people who actually wrote the Bible were the people who had an apostolic calling on their lives and an absolute encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. They walked with him, ate with him, they were there for what he did. So given that the gospel we know is the true gospel, 
And the message is simply that our salvation is a result of God's grace and only God's grace. Why is it that the Galatians lost the plot? Why is it that we lose the plot? I mean, today, Christians all over the world struggle with losing the idea that grace is all we need. What is wrong with us? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. But I want to look at how easy it is to actually lose that, that concept, how, how churches, in all our do-gooding, in all our good intentions, in all our desires to be right with God, there are three ways we can easily stuff it up. And the first, first one's not particularly dangerous because it's so obvious. But you still find churches out there that do this sort of thing. That they actually become extremely intolerant of small differences in people's lives. They will actually hand out a card as you walk in the door telling you, next time you come, this is how you should dress. No jeans, no denim, no earrings, no tattoos, no long hair for guys, no short hair for girls. They'll have a list of rules about how you're to behave. No swear words, no smoking, no drinking. Um, there are some churches I know that... Uh, they will actually ask for proof of your salvation uh, and ask whether you speak in tongues. And say, well, if you don't, I'm sorry, you're not saved. And I can't find that in grace anywhere. Um, now, that, this is exactly what happened to the churches in Galatia. They had people who came and taught and wanted to impose old rules and regulations relating to ceremonial practices and dress and, and eating and all those sort of things. Um, and the reason it's not particularly dangerous is it's because if we know about grace, it's a fairly obvious sort of red flashing light that somehow grace has been uh, overtaken by the rules. Now, we've got to be a bit careful here because we have rules in our church. But the rules don't relate to our salvation. Now, we have rules about what people wear on the worship team. But they're actually related to people's distraction, uh, weaknesses, um, a desire to actually put on a united front, a desire to have people focus on worship and not people. Um, you know, we, we don't encourage mohawk haircuts, um, not because we hate them necessarily, uh, although personally I do, um, <laughs> but because if you've got a worship leader with, uh, I mean, if Georgia came in and she sported a, a, pink, and, a pink and green mohawk, uh, and led worship, you'd have to admit that most of the focus would be on her hair. None of the focus would be on God. And that's actually what we're here for. So it's, it's okay to have ways of doing things. It's okay to have cultural differences and cultural restraints and constraints, but they don't relate to your salvation. We are not uh, Georgia is not saved by the color of her hair. Because otherwise, her salvation would change every so often. <laughs> Even I've noticed that. Um, and so we see highly authoritative churches, highly ritualized churches, and highly legalized churches who have taken the idea of grace and added rules to it. And that it happens so easily that you go, to, you go to a church, and because as a church gets bigger... Uh, rules and regulations become part of its life because it's easy to work if you have a few rules in place. Uh, even simple things, and you have them in your home. 
when you have small children, you find that you have to impose a rule that says, wipe your feet before you come inside. And usually, you haven't had to have a rule like that before because adults are usually sensible enough to wipe their feet before they come inside. But suddenly, you've, you've got all these rules. Now, what, ah, what's the rule? What's the rule? Go wipe my feet. Yeah, right, okay, back outside, wipe your feet. You have to impose these rules. But do they actually alter the love you have for your children once you've got over cleaning the carpet and all of those things? <laughs> sort of making those growling under your breath, oh, why did we ever have children? <laughs> that, but it, do, it doesn't bear any relationship to that. So that's actually a fairly obvious clue that people have got the, the whole message of grace out of alignment. The other way of doing it, which is somewhat more prevalent, is in churches who consider themselves liberal, and I use the word liberal with quotation marks, and they believe that as long as you're a good you're a loving and kind person. It doesn't matter what you believe because eventually you'll find your way to God. You've heard that thing, you know, God is at the top of the mountain. There are many paths up the mountain to God. And as long as you're on the journey to find God and as long as you're kind to your fellow man and you don't do things that upset other people, then you'll find God and that's, that's all that matters. You're searching for God. Anybody who's searching for God is on the right track. And... That sounds really nice, doesn't it? It's, it's really tolerant, really loving of people, really caring. You don't really get up anybody's nose. Sort of you don't offend anybody. And I think today that, that is what our society is going towards. We have a society which is trying to put into law the idea that we shouldn't offend people. The idea that we should accept everybody's idea it's actually been put in law that you know, if you oppose somebody's idea, you could be fined or put in jail just for saying, well, I don't agree with you. Because there's this whole idea that if we're just nice and kind and we stick to our own and don't criticise anybody, that we can somehow become holy people and pleasing to God. Now, this is actually really insulting. Because A, if just being good is enough, then Jesus died for nothing. I mean, it was a waste of time. He could have, at the Garden of Gethsemane, he could have said, God, not your will, I'll stuff it. Yes, my will, I'm, I'm out of here. And he could have said, no, because they just have to be good. They don't need me to die for them. And the other thing that's insulting is that that means that only good people can get into heaven. What about bad people, like you and me? <laughs> How do we get into heaven? Because let me tell you, I'm not tolerant of everybody else's ideas. Stuff them. Some of them are wrong. <laughs> Oops. Do you realise that we pay, I don't know how much it is, but we have insurance that covers me for saying stupid things up the front. <laughs> it costs us real money. So that if I say something which offends somebody and they sue, we've got insurance for it. Well, Sue, we can afford it. <laughs> no, we can't. Stop that. The, the second thing, uh, and the, uh, what was I saying? Yes, good people, bad people. That's it, us, bad people. Because um, Matthew chapter 22, verse 8, gives a, a, a picture of, of who God accepts. And it, it's the wedding feast. He says to his servants in uh, Matthew 22, 8, The wedding feast is ready and the guests I aren't invited aren't worthy of the honour. That's the good people. Now go out into the street corners and invite everyone you see. 
So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. So if you say that people are saved by being good, then only the good can come to God's feast. The gospel offer becomes exclusive, not inclusive. And the gospel clearly states that all can come to that feast. So it might sound nice. It might get you in good with politicians and social media and newspapers and talkback shows and all of this sort of thing. But it's not the gospel. It's the reverse of the gospel. We can't fall into the trap of being good people and assuming that that's going to get us somewhere. So that's the second thing that we get over simplified or, or we get sidetracked about grace. The third thing, the third thing I, I left to the last because it's the most troubling one. It's the trap we as a church in particular are most likely to fall into. Because you see, in some churches, it's taught that you are saved through your surrender to Christ, plus your right beliefs and your right behavior, which is a typical mistake of evangelical or Pentecostal churches. Because the start to your salvation usually comes with a challenge to give your life to Jesus or to ask him into your life. Ooh, Ooh, that rings a bell. I've I've heard that. In fact, I think I've said that. And you sort of think, well, what's wrong with that? That's, That's the biblical approach. And yes, it is. But it's very easy if you don't follow that up for people to fall into this idea that grace wasn't the first thing that got them there because of... How, how it's worded or, or what people expect. Because I know that when I offer that invitation for people to come to Jesus, for people to give their lives to Jesus, there are people sitting there who are thinking, well, I can't do that yet because I'm not good enough yet. There are things I haven't sorted out yet to get me to that place where I can offer my life to Jesus because I think it's worth offering. Or that I can accept Jesus because... I've reached a level where he probably wouldn't get too upset if he discovered what I was really like. (laughs) Oops. And so, unconsciously, we often broadcast this idea that somehow there is merit in in the fact that you've actually been brave enough to stand up and say, okay, I give up, you win. I'm giving my life to Jesus. And somehow, in doing that, we have taken a step... We have done something which enables God to then do what he has to do. Because we've, we've been bold, we've surrendered, we've accepted, and somehow that we think of that as the action that we have to take to get saved. The action we ha- that has to take place for us to get saved has happened. Jesus died on the cross and rose again. The conditions for our salvation have been met. There is nothing we can do to change that. That that offer is out there for every single person. Saint, murderer, sort of introvert, extrovert, everybody in between. Not that that necessarily ties into murderers and saints. but 
So we have to get rid of the idea that somehow for God to accept us, we have to have a feeling of sorrow, regret, shame, hunger in order to get into God's presence. Jesus is there. Our accepting his call is the second part because as I, as I said in the beginning, the first part of grace is Jesus called us first. We didn't, we didn't call out to God and God said, mm, that's an interesting idea, they want salvation. Well, I can work out a deal. So how, how's this going to work? He didn't do that. He said, before we knew it, he said, these guys need salvation. I'm going to have to put something in place so that they can all be saved. Only trouble is that some of them are going to reject it. And that's the choice that we have, to accept or reject that salvation. And then, of course, the big problem is once you get saved, because you get saved and you get a person who gets saved and they come out here and suddenly we pray with them and they pray, Jesus, I leave my old life behind and I take on a new life. And as soon as they say that, it's like Jesus come up and said, good on you, mate, we're here together. We're going to do this. And it's, it's wonderful and it's exciting. Gee, wonderful, exciting. Um, yeah. And then you leave church and you go home and life goes on as normal and things go wrong and suddenly you get this feeling that this Jesus who was there is sort of looking at your life going yep you're doing all right come on you can do it you can do it okay come on come on come with me come with me you can manage it you can manage it but the gap keeps getting bigger and bigger because <laughs> you keep doing <laughs> sorry well I I could run faster if I needed to. And so, thank you, you, you can sit down. So once we've been saved, we then actually try to remain saved. Because, you know, if we do things wrong, then we get this feeling that God separates himself from us until we can fix our sin. So then as, as good Christians, we spend our life fixing our sin so that God can get closer to us. And, and we get all excited because we link verses like there's a great one James chapter 2 verse 19 you say you have faith for you believe there's only one God good for you even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror how foolish can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless we grab onto that and say we've got to do good things our faith is useless unless we're doing good stuff the trouble is that isn't linked to salvation that scripture has nothing to do with our salvation it's actually to do with the outworking of our faith once we have that faith it's a call to actually use what is a free bestowment bestowment i was going to say free gift but there's no such thing as a free gift that's an oxymoron um, no it's not it's a tautology um, if it's a gift it's free People who say free gifts should get a slap up the side of the head. <laughs> so all slap yourselves up the side of the head. Go on, because you've all done it. It's like <laughs> so, so they get the hold of the idea that we're saved because of our level of faith. But the gospel says we're saved through our faith. And the first approach makes our performance the saviour because we increase our faith. So we're doing something that helps our salvation. The second approach makes Christ's performance our saviour. 
It's not the level of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves us. That's where we get tripped up. Let me finish with an example. I'll see if I can make this real. Ben, I need your help here. And I want to I use this as a, as a prelude to inviting people to let Jesus into their life. Now, this is my son Ben, handsome fella. Uh, now, some time ago, Ben invited me to go bushwalking with him. And at this time, he is a fit, strapping young man, and I was a slightly older person, out of shape, not... Oh, you don't have to do anything, obviously. <laughs> not looking to go bushwalking, not in a, a fit state to go bushwalking. Just like when Jesus invites us into his life, when Ben invited me to, come bu- to get involved in bushwalking, I wasn't ready for it. But he asked me anyway. And so I thought about it and I thought, why not? And so we partnered together in bushwalking. And we went on a, a, few, a few walks, and let me tell you, it was exhausting. My legs quivered, I had cramp for days afterwards, I was exhausted, sweating. It was, it was but I liked it, in a perverse sort of way. <laughs> but, and as, as we did it more and more, I got better. I got fitter, my, my cardiovascular fitness improved. But the interesting thing is that when we go bushwalking, it's us against the elements. And we go, we don't go hand in hand, we've got our backpacks on, but we walk together. And, <laughs> and, we, and we find trails and we walk and we go together. And it's a bit like when Jesus invites us into doing something, we, he, we walk together. He walks with us because we're saved, we're, do, we're doing the bushwalking thing, we're doing the salvation thing, right? And so we're walking together. And if you, if you like, the terrain that we meet, stay there, the terrain that we meet is like sin in our life. Together, we overcome that. And the more we do it together, the more terrain we can overcome, the better we are at handling sin, if you like, because we're working together. Now, when it comes to human interactions, it wouldn't be uncommon, and I'm not saying Ben's done this, but because he's a bit younger and fitter than me, occasionally he gets ahead. And imagine that we've come to a creek crossing and I'm on this side of the creek and Ben's on that side of the creek and he's walked across a narrow log. And with human interaction and with human um, thinking, it would be quite easy for us to understand Ben's there thinking, well, the old man's doing all right. Let's give him a challenge. He says, I've got over here. You can do it. It's easy. And I'm looking at this log thinking, my boots are wet. This is slippery. I'm not sure I can do this. And I start and my foot slips on the first step. Ben stands there thinking, weak old bugger. <laughs> he says, come on, you can do it. Because he's encouraging me, just like God would do. He's encouraging me, but he's encouraging me from over there. And so I get halfway across and it starts to creak. I think, oh, it's going to snap my back off down. I say, I can't, I can't get across. And it wouldn't be uncommon, especially if you're testing someone, for Ben to say, well, 
Okay, well, I'm just going to keep going. You, you, you see how you manage to get across. Or he would perhaps say, come on, let, let's work this out. I'll throw you a rope across the tree. Perhaps you can swing across. And there's all this sort of thing. So what has happened in effect that we have become separated and between us is impassable terrain. Or between us, if you like, if, it, if we're having Ben as God there, hopefully it doesn't go to his head, that there's a separation between me and God. And God is standing there saying that if I can cope with this separation, if I can work it out myself, I can get to him and we can be together again. Now with, with that, I mean, to our human thinking, that sounds quite reasonable, doesn't it? Challenges people, gets people to overcome their fears, um, builds character, get, gets us to overcome our sin. But that's not grace. That's grace plus works. That's me. And so if, if Ben was God, we would be standing here at the chasm and th there's still sin in my life. There's still a struggle for me to overcome. But, possibly, but Ben, or God stands here next to us and says, how are we going to tackle this? Okay, let's work out a strategy and it might be that he carries me across. But the thing is that when we encounter sin in our life, through, if we understand grace, we recognize that Jesus is always here. Our sin never comes between us and God. God is always with us to help us face our sin. It doesn't mean that sin goes away. It just means that God never leaves our side to let us face our sin and tease us with the idea that if we can, we can overcome our sin, we can somehow reach out and get to God on the other side. That is not grace. Thank you. So this morning, I want to issue an opportunity for people who don't have God at their side to help them with life. Because like Ben, when he gave me an invitation to become interested in bushwalking and go on, on overnight hikes and things with him, he asked me at a time when I wasn't a bushwalker. I wasn't fit, I wasn't prepared, I wasn't in any way what you would call a candidate to do that sort of thing. But he asked anyway. And I accepted, not because I was an instant expert, but because that was all that it took, an acceptance of the offer. And when God asks us to accept him into our lives, when Jesus says, I want to come into your life, that that is an open invitation, no matter where you are. You could be in the, in the fridge hoeing into your third chicken at 186 pounds and God says, come bushwalking with me and you look and you think, come on, you've got to be joking. You could be in the midst of your worst sin and God says, come, join me. And you think, oh, hang on, let me get my life right first. Let me get out of the fridge at least. But God says, no, through grace, I accept you wherever you are, whatever you're doing, however you're feeling, whatever your image of yourself and your relationship with God is, doesn't matter. Grace says, you can put your hand up and say, okay, God, I'm changing my life now. I want to accept you into my life. And when we walk with God, after that, if you go back to the fridge and you open the door for your third chicken again, Jesus is there with you. He might say, mm, don't know about the third chicken. But he's not standing on in the lounge room saying, come on, put that chicken down and come over here. If you can do that, you can come here, put, put it down, come on, 
Work it out. He's with you, helping you. So this morning, I want you, if you can close your eyes, please. If you're here today and you've never recognized what grace can actually do for you, you've never thought about how God wants you to have him in your life, no matter what your position, the fact that you don't deserve it, the fact that you're not even what you would consider a godly person. If you've realized that you can just accept that offer as you are, where you're at, and you would like to do it, while nobody's looking around, I invite you right now just to lift your hand so that I can see it. Because we can invite Jesus into your life right now. No strings attached. No onus on you to change a single thing. Because it's not up to you, it's up to Jesus. You know, the, the only way we can actually revoke our salvation is by revoking the offer. God never goes away. But we can. You may have been somebody who's accepted that offer before, but then turned away and said, no, nah, I take it back. And the great thing about grace is that that door is always open. If you've, if you've accepted that offer before, but been too ashamed to retake it, I encourage you now, lift your hand and accept Jesus back into your life. He's not just the God of second chances. He's the God of any chance he can take on your life. Okay, can I get you to open your eyes? I'm going to ask you, what, what are the, the things that is so awesome about grace is that it destroys shame? Because I don't know whether you want to admit it, but I will. I've done things in my life I'm ashamed of. And some of the things I've done, I've been ashamed enough to push God away. Say, hey, I don't feel I can pray right now because I feel unholy. You know, God gets really upset when you do that. He said, you feel ashamed. I sent my son to die on a cross and you feel ashamed. You want to step away. He's insulted. And yet, who knows, that shame is hard to overcome. God finds it really strange because he can't see that shame. Through grace, he has accepted you. Through grace, he walks with you. Now, it doesn't mean that, as it says in James, faith in Jesus means that we actually trust him. Because remember, salvation is all about who we have faith in not how much faith we have. But if we have faith in Jesus, it means we're having faith in him to change our life. So I, I want you to be brave. If you are here this morning and you, like me, have had shame in your life that has stopped you from connecting with God, I want you to stand up. Come on, don't be shy. Because... I think, I think we've all done it. 
But I'm here this morning to tell you that that shame is false. That shame is something that only you see, that God does not see. So this morning, I want you to believe with me these words. Lord, as we stand with you this morning, I thank you that you see me as pure. You see me as whole. You see me as holy. You see me as a son and a daughter, or a daughter, probably not both, of the Most High God. I am worthy in your sight. Are you believing me this morning? There is nothing I can do which will bring me out of your love. There is nothing on this earth that can take your love away from me unless I reject it. So Lord, I pledge from this moment forth not to let my shame get in the way of my relationship with you. Lord, you are at my shoulder every second of my life. I will not allow you to become separated from me because of my sin. Because grace tells me that we face my sin together. That I am never alone to battle it. And that I always have you by my side, strengthening me, encouraging me, and above all, loving me. I accept your grace and I accept your salvation forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Thank you guys. You may be seated. hate shame shame makes me angry it is a useless thing to think <laughs> I, might, I might get to that one and we need, we need to feel the same not of ourselves if we catch something we've been ashamed, we're ashamed of we need to take stock of our lives but if we suddenly think well God's sitting over there and he's going yeah, yeah I'm ashamed too if we think that's stupid. <laughs> but so many of us fall into a hole. Think of ourselves as lesser Christians. Re- sort of remove ourselves from God's love. And, and we do the removing. God's saying, don't go, don't go. We say, but I'm, I'm not worthy. No, you never were flaming worthy. <laughs> we all fall short of the glory of God. But the sacrifice of Jesus is meant that we never have to that's that's amazing grace whenever we feel ashamed we should kick it in the teeth we should say, we okay it's wrong I stuffed up but guess what Jesus is here to help me through the stuff up the next time often we're just too proud I stuffed up once never going to stuff up again the next time we do it oops what did I say last time said I wasn't gonna, and our self-esteem drops Jesus is saying, we'll work it out. I'll carry you if I have to. Shame is horrible. Don't ever have it. You can be ashamed of something you've done, but don't carry shame around. It's not a badge of honor. It's a badge of forgetfulness. 
forgotten that God doesn't see it. 